0: the week after, correct? Okay. So we want to keep him in prayer too. And as we pray for ourselves as we worship this morning, worship is far more than just standing and singing. Worship is the engaging of our hearts and our wills to the will of God. Songs are a part of how we turn our hearts to the Lord. So bow with me, please, and let's consider our God together. Father, we thank you for the morning. Thank you for the lessons in your word we've already heard. We pray, Father, that as we bow before you now in our hearts and our minds, that you would purge us from the things that distract us and cause us, Lord, help us to focus on you, to lift up your name. Because it is the worthy name above all names. We desire to be better followers of yours, better emissaries of yours at having been together today. And we ask you this in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together and read what's on the screen together. Uh, Next slide, please. And then we will turn our thoughts toward Singing Truths. To the Lord, Shall we read together? This comes from Psalm 86. Together. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God.
1: the depths of the earth From the depths of the sea From the heights of the heavens i oh. Of the sea, from the heights of the heavens, your name we praise, the hearts of the weak, from the shouts of the strong, from the lips of all people. This song. Praise Lord. many, his mercy is more. Patience would await as we constantly. What father so tender is calling us home? He welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the Sins they many, his mercy is more. Praise the Lord, his mercy is more. Stronger than dark.
0: do our next song would you bow your heads and just prepare your heart to hear the word god's word is a, a sword to pierce us it is a scalpel to heal us it is the medicine for our souls would you ask god to help you be good soil for the ground of his word
1: Let's go. we be me from my sin. To be holy, set apart for you, Lord. I choose to be.
0: seated Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew 18. Matthew 18 is a very rich chapter, mostly about forgiveness that is what we're going to talk about today. We're calling our lesson today, Forgiven People Ought to be Forgiving People. Before I read the passage, I just want to tell you why we're looking at this passage. It is something that God the Holy Spirit has been bringing to my heart for well over two years. See, God... uh, has sovereignly allowed a very difficult situation into our lives, Vicki and me. And it is a personal offense, a betrayal, if you will. An ongoing, unresolved, relational collapse. Despite what we have tried to do to resolve things and to do things God's way. The offender refuses all of God's commands toward reconciliation and restoration. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that where you're trying to do the right thing and it's refused, you didn't do anything wrong in the first place. And yet, everything you say is misconstrued and turned against you. You don't have to raise your hand, but some of us have been in situations like that. So today's teaching is really not so much a sermon as it is a testimony. Because I will tell you honestly that my emotions have not always been where God wanted them to be. And yet, God has taught me greatly through this process of having to deal with someone who is exceptionally adversarial and so my prayer has been as I've been preparing this and even now my prayer is that this microphone would stay in place (laughs) no that's a hope my prayer is that you will benefit from some of the things God has taught me so here we are at the passage and let's Uh, Follow along as I read, and I'm going to read out of the New King James because it actually captures one of the terms better than the ESV does. Uh, ESV is better than the New King James sometimes. Uh, I go back and forth between the two, but uh, this is the one I'm reading from today, verse 21 of Matthew 18. Uh, By the way, I always like it when we rise, when God's word is read. So if you're physically able, would you just do that, please? The scriptures is God's word, and when God speaks, we ought to stand at attention. Verse 21, Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. More on that point later. It is an amazing figure. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, pay what you owe. And so his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not And went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. So my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Lord, we invite you to teach us as we ponder your word together. We need you so desperately. And we ask you in the name of Jesus to not only instruct us, but to change us for your glory and for our benefit. Amen. Please be seated. Everyone experiences relational difficulty from time to time. The Grace of Jesus in our relationships causes us to forbear with one another. And even when people are difficult, this person-to-person grace is as it should be. We are to give grace to one another. But occasionally, someone comes into our lives whose toxic behavior is, they seem to be blind to their own behavior. And the offenses that they cause actually erode relationships, Instead of asking forgiveness and seeking reconciliation like we're taught to do from the scriptures and like hopefully like we practice doing, these people actually prefer to hold grudges and to act unbecomingly. They even want to play the victim and turn the narrative around to something far different than the reality of what happened. I'm reminded of Abraham Lincoln who asked the question, how many legs does a dog have if you call his tail a leg? You know the answer? Still only four. Because if you call a tail a leg, it doesn't make it a leg. And there are people who want to change the narrative. They want to change reality from what it happened. And that is not, that's not a scenario where you can actually deal with reconciliation and the repair of a relationship. People like this are very, very challenging to love. And once they have flung their toxicity on you, they're actually a huge obstacle to doing what God has commanded us to do, and that is to extend forgiveness. Especially when they are unrelenting in their malicious behavior and contributing to making life miserable for you And everyone in their orbit. Now I truly hope you've never met anybody like that. But I have. We have a calling to peace. The resurrected Jesus Christ calls us to live by his power. And to forgive our offenders as he has forgiven us. Isn't that not the obvious teaching from that parable? So let's dig into it just a little bit deeper. The reason Jesus gave the parable is because Peter, he asked the question, how many times must I forgive? Now, you've, if you've ever had to deal with a difficult person, you may not have verbalized that, but you've felt it. How much must I shovel here, Lord? <laughs> and, and Peter thinks he's being benevolent. Up to seven times? And Jesus says, no, actually it's 70 times 7. Now, if you think Jesus gave a legalistic mathematical formula, you missed it. He's actually using a figure of speech that should be interpreted as limitless forgiveness. Limitless forgiveness. By the way, can you imagine Jesus standing beside you and as, as offense number 491 happens? And he says in your ear, all right, that's 491. You're off the hook now. Just do whatever you want. <laughs> Isn't that ludicrous? And besides that, if you've been keeping score at all, that's not forgiveness, is it? You see, Paul said it this way First 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5. Love does not keep an account of wrong suffered. Why does Jesus want his followers to be forgiving people? Because he's the creator. He made us. Body, mind, soul, psyche, everything about us. And he's the redeemer and he knows how toxic unforgiveness, when it's allowed to fester, can become in our hearts. Hebrews 12 says this, Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest, catch this now, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble and by which many become defiled. Unforgiveness, beloved, is the poison we drink Hoping someone else will die. Paul Tripp says it like this. He he, he reminds us in his wonderful book, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands. Sinners tend to respond sinfully to being sinned against. Can I get a witness? (laughs) Every one of us has been there. And that's the very reason why God has given us this amazing instruction. So that instead of unforgiveness infecting our hearts and the hearts of everyone around us, we might learn how to walk in his resurrection life. You with me on that point? You ready? Ready to dig in? All right, let's do it. Here's the master's forgiveness, first of all. We just want to look at the text. So the master sought to settle accounts. By the way, your Lord Jesus, he is such an amazing teacher. Something happens and he instantly comes up with a story to illustrate the point. I can't do that. Most of you can't. He's amazing. That's why they called him master and teacher. But So in the story, the master wants to settle accounts with his slaves and debtors. And there is a slave that owes 10 thousand talents. Now, we don't use the talent as a measure in our day, so let me just explain to you what a debt of 10,000 talents looks like. First of all, we need to understand that people in Jesus' day were paid approximately a denarius for a day's wages. A talent represented 20 Years worth of wages. Now that's a lot, isn't it? Now we got to multiply that times 10,000 and we come up with 200,000 years of indebtedness. Beloved, that's nearly 3,000 lifetimes. And immediately we see, and as they saw, the people listening to this parable saw, that there was, this is an absolutely impossible debt to ever repay. And, and Jesus meant for this figure to overwhelm the minds of his hearers because of its impossibility. But what did the master do? The master had compassion. On his servant, who had a debt he could never repay. And what did he do? He zeroed the account. By the way, let me put this in perspective for you. The entire nation of Israel only owed 900 talents to Rome per year. That's the national debt to Rome. What a master. He erases the debt. He goes to zero so that the slave can be free of his indebtedness and do what he was created to do. If that isn't a picture of how God has dealt with us in our sinfulness, I don't know what is. God dealt with us in our utter, unbelievable offense toward him, in our fallenness, in our sinfulness... And our sins were so offensive to his holiness that there was there is no amount of good works that we could ever do that would make it okay with God. God erased our debt because someone else, our Lord Jesus, took our debt and paid the debt for us. Now, I actually did a little math. and and compared it I went to census.gov and I found the mean the average mean income in 2020 for most American families and and I'll spare you all the boring details but a comparable debt in our day is 13 billion 350 million dollars how would you like to owe somebody that much money do you know if you stack those dollars on top of each other it would go 1,088 miles into space. So that sounds like a lot, Dave. Let me put it in perspective for you. Commercial aircraft fly seven or five miles high, depending on their assigned altitude. We're talking 1,088. The International Space Station orbits the Earth at 227 miles high. 1,088 miles. This is a debt you could never repay. This is a picture of how God has dealt with us in His Magnanimous forgiveness toward our sins. And yet, here's another servant who's forgiven this kind of debt. And he goes and finds somebody that owes him four months' wages. A hundred denarii. Four months' wages. And what does the second servant do? He asks the same thing that the first servant asked. Can you give me time? I'll pay. Have mercy on me. And what does he do? forgiven servant refuses to forgive, but demands punishment for the debt. Now, everybody who heard this parable, I promise you, because, because you and I feel it too, we've got an emotional reaction happening, don't we? That's ridiculous. How can you be forgiven so much and not be willing to forgive so little? That's exactly where the Lord Jesus wants us to come to in this parable. I want you to, I've listed some things, I've got a couple of slides to show you as well, but I've got some things to show you that God wants us to learn this morning. The emotional reaction is how could anyone who's been forgiven a debt like that not forgive a lesser debt? See, the clear teaching of Jesus' parable is that we ought to forgive like the Master has forgiven And say it was easy. We'll deal with that shortly. But that is what is teaching it. Can you see that? Let me have a show of hands. Can you see that in the parable? It's there. That that is the teaching. Erase the debt. Make the choice not to hold the debt over the slave's head. And some may object, Dave, how can I do that? That person hurt me so deeply. Well, we're not denying reality. Yes, the offense is real. The pain of the offense and its impact is real. But here's the question, beloved. Was the offense to you greater than your offense to God? That's the point the Holy Spirit wants us to ponder this morning. See, the impact of the parable is that forgiven people ought to be forgiving people verse 35 Jesus gets to the heart of the matter and he says this so my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his what what does the text say from his heart does not forgive the heart is the battleground Dear ones, your inner person, where forgiveness is either granted or withheld. See, because the first slave refused to forgive, he is relegated to what the New King James calls in verse 34, the torturers. ESV uses the term jailers, as does the New American Standard. But the Greek is actually torture. Torturers. Notice the text. And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. What are these torturers, dear ones? Let's think through this. And, and we, want, we, we want to hug the text here, but we also want to, to broaden slightly. You see, in the text... We need to understand that the most obvious truth here in this parable is that if you are a forgiven person, the inclination of your heart is to forgive. If you're in Christ, Jesus has suffered for all your sins and his life is being formed in you. You're not perfect yet, neither am I. But we're being made perfect. We are making steps in the right direction. His life is being formed in us so that we think and behave as a person who has been transformed by the grace of Christ. And I want to be clear, as clear as I can here, and please understand me if you've gotten sleepy, uh, wiggle or something. Refusing to forgive. I'm not talking about struggling over your emotions. This is a difficult thing. And, if you, and, and many of us will struggle. But a lifestyle of prolonged unforgiveness and refusal to walk in God's ways is an indication that you very well may not be in the kingdom. Eternal separation is what's being talked about when the master turns the slave over to the torturers. Let me illustrate that with something Peter said. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. What is Peter's point? You can alter the outward appearance, but until you change the nature, the behavior is going to remain the same. If you've been given a new nature as a forgiven person, then the compass of your heart points... To the true north of Jesus' commands. Not perfection. But that's where you come back to. If you have yet to experience the grace and forgiveness of Christ, then your nature as an unforgiven person will be to withhold forgiveness. These are the words of Jesus. So my Heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. He's talking about being a transformed person because, beloved, in the kingdom, it is forgiveness in, forgiveness out. So we have a torturer of eternal separation. We also have a torturer of mental and emotional instability. To be perpetually unforgiving is to ingest the toxin of unforgiveness and bitterness into your own soul, whereby you begin a digression into a deeply unhealthy mentality which you could which could even lead you to emotional and mental instability. We see this illustrated in First Samuel with King Saul. King Saul disobeyed the Lord's commands. He subsequently went into humanistic thinking and behavior. He refused to recognize David as the rightful anointed king to come. It led him to jealousy toward David and to deranged and tortured thinking that even led him to try to kill David. Another point that I found in, uh, that might help us here, is that I found in in preparing for this uh, testimonial, is that uh, several studies were made in the year 2000, 2002, and 2009, where psychologists... I finally come around to the Lord Jesus' words concerning our psychological uh, difficulties when we withhold forgiveness. They say this, that when forgiveness is withheld and resentment is coddled and bitterness is nurtured, symptoms like chronic stress responses, uncontrollable emotional responses, depression, and in the worst worst case, paranoid personality disorders. hope you're not thinking about people right now that you know <laughs> maybe they have this problem now I, I admit to you i've had that same temptation uh, additionally john hopkins hospital reports an article entitled forgiveness your health depends upon it listen to this they say that forgiving people actually reduces stress in their psychology in their psyche and lowers blood pressure anybody on blood pressure medicine <laughs> just kidding <laughs> That's cool. Now, you say, Dave, why are you you giving us worldly stuff? Well, because isn't it amazing that even they discovered that Jesus actually knew what he was talking about? Even a blind squirrel finds a nut every now and then. (laughs) Loneliness. Let us not leave this one out. Loneliness is the natural result of being a toxic person. The world that God created is meant to be a world full of healthy interpersonal relationships. When we refuse to forgive, we are left to pay the high price tag of loneliness. you ever known somebody that was just difficult to be around, who who disliked everything and was bitter about just about everything? Aren't they just a joy to be around? Yeah. And yet, often... These people are utterly clueless that they themselves are the reason for their loneliness. Now, there's more we could say on that. That's what a preacher says when he runs out of material. (laughs) But let's be honest. Let's be honest as we submit ourselves to the word of the Lord. Dear ones, are you holding a grudge? Are you maintaining your offended position with someone, refusing to forgive them? Doing that is just about as absurd as a toddler with a dirty diaper that refuses to be changed. In his mind, he says, it may be nasty and it may stink to high heavens, but it's mine. More seriously, let me ask you this. If you're withholding, if you're holding grudges, if you're withholding forgiveness from someone, why are you disobeying Christ? Why? Because according to Jesus, forgiven people are forgiving people. Do you remember the the words of your Lord as he hung on the cross in your place, in my place? with the nails in his hands and driven through his feet, with blood pouring off of him and staining the ground below, he said, it is finished. I can't even begin to mimic the tone and the agony that he cried that with, but what was he talking about? God's wrath was finished. All sin of all humanity for all time was being paid for by his willing substitutionary sacrifice. And and beloved, whether you are the offender or the offended, the remedy is the same. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners, plunged beneath that flood, lose all their guilt. You must identify with that thief on the cross. Listen to another verse. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. And there may I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. That's something that God has been driving to my heart over the last two years. You see, the, the offense was real. The, the, the refusal for it to, to be reconciled is real. The pain is real. And as we have sought to do the right thing and it is rejected, I often see that some truths here. One is that there's nothing, as my emotions are riled, I have to come back to this. And this is the blessed spirit of God that brings me here. There's nothing anyone could do to me that could be greater than my offenses toward God. How then can I withhold forgiveness from a fellow sinner when I have been forgiven all my offenses before the most holy God a debt that I could never have repaid when God allows me to be hurt by someone no matter how innocent I may be or how calloused they may have been it is a picture of me before God me the constant offender, me, the calloused offender, me, the high-handed rebel against God's grace. And instead of wanting judgment, God has taught me and is teaching me to see my offender as simply a person in need of Jesus' transforming touch. I, I admit to you that I have wanted judgment. I'm not proud of that, but I have. But immediately, the conviction of the Spirit causes me to remember that I'm the one that deserved God's judgment. And I did not receive God's judgment. I received his mercy. And that is precisely what he is asking me to do to my offender, for my offender. Another lesson God's taught me is that my reactions are the barometer of my heart's true needs. It is these painful and sinful emotions that I have that show me how much I need the grace of God right now in the present tense to continue to cleanse my heart from the presence of evil. And you know what that causes me to do, beloved? Don't forget, by the way, it took me two years to get here, okay? (laughs) This has been a long struggle. But it causes me to actually thank God for the difficulty of the situation that he has sovereignly allowed into my life, because it allows me to come nearer to him once I see how much my heart, by its ugly demonstrations, needs him Fifth. Withhold God's forgiveness toward an offender is another way that my fleshly heart wants to rise up and take God's place as the judge of the universe. And I promise you, there is not a vacancy in the Trinity. God is not taking applications, and I don't qualify. Neither do you. See, unforgiveness suggests that God hasn't done his job as the judge. That he actually needs me to execute justice for him, and he does not. He certainly does not need me as a surrogate justice-bearer on earth. Recalled to imitate Jesus Christ, of whom it is said in 1 Peter 2:23, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued, and this is where I like the ESV, because it alone, of all the translations we use, has picked up that continuous effort here. He continued entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. That tells me that this was not a one-time decision on Jesus' part, and it is not a one-time decision on our part either. He suffered. He agonized over the sins of the world. And, beloved, that is your sin and my sin. And if the perfect, sin-bearing Son of God kept entrusting himself when all the weight of the world's sin was upon him, how dare I ask? Like Jesus, our Lord and our example, we continue entrusting ourselves to him who judges righteously. I gain great strength by this passage from Isaiah. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. He is going to judge the world. You know why he doesn't judge the evil people around us and the people, evil people in our lives? Is because he's having mercy on them so that they will repent. He doesn't want their souls to spend eternity in the hellfire. One more thing I want to share with you this morning. Your feelings of anger at having been treated unjustly or the overwhelming emotions that come with the situation are all indication that there is still a need for God's healing touch within our own hearts. That's a good thing to realize. With that thought, we need to remember that it's too much for us. You can't fix your heart and you can't fix anybody else's heart. I was reminded as I prepared this that King Jehoshaphat was surrounded by an enemy army and he was outnumbered and outgunned and he stood in front of the whole nation army and he said this, Lord we know not what to do but our eyes are upon you and when you are in an adversarial situation, when everything is falling apart relationally this is to be your attitude. Lord, I don't know. But I'm looking at you. And God came back through the prophet and said this, Do not be afraid nor dismayed, for the battle is not yours. But, say it with me, God's. Who but God can change the human heart? Forgiven people ought to be forgiving people. God delivered Israel, by the way. And he could deliver us. But I want to submit to you, beloved, that the first thing God needs to deliver us from is our own sinful hearts. Our propensity to circle the wagons around ourselves and guard ourselves and accuse everyone around us. No, 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 no. Our new nature dictates that forgiven people are to be forgiving people. So... That's it. Very easy lesson today, wasn't it? Can I just invite you to join me in coming clean before the Lord? Seriously. If we're God's people, then God calls us to take his word, allow his spirit to press it into our hearts. So let me ask you, as his representative this morning, is there anyone here who's, who will admit that Forgiving those who've committed an offense is too great for your heart. I'm not asking for a verbal or a show of hands. I'm not asking for anything. I want you to ponder this. I want you to consider it. Is it too great for you, beloved? You need a God-sized work of grace in your life. And remember, there go I apart from the grace of God. God forgave you a debt you could never possibly repay. Therefore, as a forgiven person, we forgive. I want to tell you about something I read a couple of years ago. It's a true story. Three men approached the communion table together. The one in the middle was Steve Saint. Does that name ring a bell? One on one side of him was his son. The other, one on the other side was a man they simply referred to as grandfather. Grandfather's real name was Mankaya. He's from the Wadani tribe, formerly known as Alka. Menkaiah actually threw the spear that killed Steve Saint's father, Nate Saint, in 1956, along with four other missionaries. Missionaries that had given up their comfort and lives in America to go and seek the salvation of this head-hunting tribe. And five men lost their lives at the outset. Mankaya threw the spear that took Steve's father's life. Well, shortly after the deaths of these missionaries, Rachel Saint, Nate's sister and Steve's aunt, and Elizabeth Elliot moved to the jungle to continue the work of evangelism with this murderous tribe. They themselves not knowing if they were going to survive. Over time, Menkaya began to be moved by what he observed in the lives of these white people these white women. He came to eventually believe the scriptures that he referred to as God's carvings. And he asked God's son to cleanse him and help him walk God's trail. Those are his words, walk God's trail. These three men considered each other family, both physically and spiritually. I'm moved by that story. And it makes me ask the question, what went on in Steve Saint's heart that caused him to look at the very man that murdered his father and love him enough to call him grandfather? What motivated Elizabeth Elliot to return to the very people who killed her husband? They chose to forgive, beloved. They chose to forgive. Eternal souls mattered more to them than their own foul stench of unforgiveness. What takes a murderer and transforms him into a follower of Jesus and someone so beloved to the son of the man he killed that he's referred to as grandfather? I'll tell you what causes that. Micaiah chose. To receive the forgiveness that God offers for all his offenses. He finally understood that there's a master willing to forgive. Steve Saint, Rachel Saint, Elizabeth Elliot, all demonstrated that forgiven people are to be forgiving people. I don't know all your hearts, and I want to ask you right here in front of God and everybody, is there anybody in the room that may have seen God's magnanimous heart to forgive you for the first time in your life? The mercies of God are higher than the heavens. But beloved, it is this life and this life alone where you choose. To either bring yourself under God's satisfied wrath because Christ suffered in your place. Or you go into eternity as a lost person and you bear your own sins in the fires of hell for all eternity. To me, that's a no-brainer. But I can't convince you. Only the Spirit of God can convince you. But I do want to invite you, if that's you, to surrender your life to Christ Your sinfulness to his forgiveness, your offenses to his justice, because justice has been paid on Calvary's cross. Those of us in the room who say that we're Christ followers, can I just ask you, if you refuse to forgive people, why do you call yourself followers of Christ if in fact you are not following him? Remember, beloved, Jesus didn't die due to a culmination of unfortunate circumstances. He gave his life willingly to bear our sins. And these sins that we're talking about today drove the nails, spewed the blood, caused him to crowd in agony when he went to the cross for you and for me. And Jesus is inviting you to come to him with those nasty, foul sin stains in your heart and lay them at his feet, believing that you can be clean before him. There's a fountain filled with blood. Sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. In a moment, we're going to sing Jesus paid it all. It's not just a closing song. It's true. He did pay it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Would you bow with me?